0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello,
1: everyone. My name is Imani Rupert Gordon. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm the executive director for the National Center for Lesbian Rights. And I'm honored today to be the moderator for this incredibly important conversation at the Commonwealth Club. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here and for everyone that is joining us virtually as well. As many of you know, on Friday, the Supreme Court issued a ruling, and in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and held that the the Constitution does not protect the right to an abortion. Now overruling itself is not something that we haven't seen from the Supreme Court before, but this is the first time that the court has reversed itself to take away rights as as, as opposed to expanding individual rights, which is certainly concerning. So here in California, we have a role to play and we want to continue to protect the reproductive rights of women and people who live in California and come to California because the states um, they live in will now have restricted their right to an abortion or either completely or with severe limitations. This is what it now means to be in a post rogue country. And we're here today to to discuss the impact on us here in California um, and what Californians can be doing in this both historic and troubling moment. Uh, Before we begin, I want to give just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, First, uh, this is a safe and respectful environment. So for anyone today, um, verbal, we want you to know that verbal outbursts of any kind will not be tolerated. We have a two-warning system. If you are warned once for your behavior um, and then it happens again, you'll be removed from the auditorium. Uh, The Commonwealth Club is a place for civil discussion, and we ask everyone to honor that. We really appreciate it. Secondly, we want your questions. So, if you um, if you're here in person, please fill out um, the cards that will be available to you. And at the end, I will have a chance to go through and ask her, and ask your questions. So, please, please, as you're starting to um, hear our panelists, to just go ahead and write those down. Um, yeah. Let's get started. So joining me today uh, in person is Gilda Gonzalez, the CEO of Planned Parenthood Northern California. Gilda has been with Planned Parenthood since February of 2017 and is the first Latina to lead a Planned Parenthood affiliate. Welcome so much. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And joining us virtually from Los Angeles is Sylvia Gazarian, the CEO of Women's Reproductive Rights Assistant Project, or RAP, which is, the, which is the largest national independent nonprofit abortion fund. Thank you for joining us. And from Sacramento, we have Assemblymember Buffy Wicks. She represents District 15, which comprises a good portion of the East Bay. She was elected first in twenty eighteen and then reelected in twenty twenty. She's been a strong voice in the state capital for abortion rights here in California. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to have you all here and for this incredible discussion. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to start with you. You're right here. Um, First, obviously, we are all aware of what happened on Friday in the Supreme Court's decision. What was your reaction to this decision?
2: So it was um, a rolling thunder of different things. So for many of you, I think we are clear that as a result of the November 2016 presidential election, that this was sort of the trajectory So one would say that we probably had four years to prepare ourselves. And then, of course, we had the leak in May 2nd. Um, But nothing really prepares you for the actual moment. So my reaction was the tip. I don't want to be thrown out and be warned twice about really what my real reaction was. (laughs) And then... um, and then there was some emotion. I, my husband gave me uh, a hug and then I had to go to work yep. and, uh, and assembled our team by seven 15, 7. 20. We were on the phone. We had a script. We had a run of show. We had a prepared, um, messaging of bad case scenario and worst case scenario. And we executed the worst case scenario plan.
1: Thank goodness. Thank you so much for for sharing that. I also we don't always think about what it's like for folks that are working in movement and also living through this and just the reaction that you have and then what you have to do for the movement. So thank you for your leadership. Um, I want to ask you if you could give us a brief overview about what this decision is going to mean for Planned Parenthood and the people that you serve in the Bay Area.
2: So Planned Parenthood Northern California covers 20 counties. We're based here in San Francisco and we go all the way up to the Oregon border. We have 17 health centers throughout that footprint. We provide medication abortions at all of our health centers and uh, select sites that have the in-clinic abortion offerings. So for us, what this means is uh, we keep our doors open and if anything, we swing them even wider. Because we're prepared to not only serve Northern Californians but anybody coming to us, and the reality is that we already started seeing out-of-state patients after Texas SB8 went into effect last September, and so we've already seen upwards of 80 patients. Um, and and you might think 80. Well, we. We've never seen those kinds of numbers ever before uh, from out-of-state patients, and most of them are from Texas. So we already kind of had the, the trial run of what this looked like, and, um, and it's so amazing to have the other guest speakers because they're a critical part of this whole equation in terms of legislative action and supporting patients coming from out-of-states through abortion funds. But we keep our doors open. And that was the message we had for our patients. That's what we had for our staff, our supporters. We're just going to have to work harder. Yep.
1: Thank you for that. And so what do you think the future holds for abortion rights here in California? And I want to talk um, specifically about people from multiple underrepresented identities, Mm -hmm. uh, people of color, low-income folks, LGBTQ folks, folks with disabilities. How are you thinking about that? So I am so grateful for our sisters,
2: uh, in the reproductive justice movement that started decades ago, who really called out the need for looking at reproductive freedom and rights in a holistic manner. So, um, you know, with the, the point of view of, um, giving me the right to determine whether or not I want to bear a child. But I also have to be concerned about having housing. Do I have access to fresh fruits and vegetables? Do I have a sustainable living wage? So that is the call out for our reproductive justice uh, allies. And I'm so grateful because this isn't a single issue. And so that's how we need to look at this movement always, is that it's multi-layered. And for the patients that we serve, they have a lot of complexities going on. And now what we see more than anything is behavioral health and mental health challenges because we've all been through it, and it's been exacerbated. So the strain and the stress of people, and specifically people with low incomes and people who already face disparities due to the economic and healthcare disparities
1: and the system that we're all born into. Right. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So earlier you said that, you know, we're keeping our doors open. We're working right now. How do you see folks from other states where abortion is no longer legal and will be severely limited? How do you see this impacting your work and what will it take for, um, for you to be able to welcome with open arms, all the women and people that will need to come to California?
2: So the Planned Parenthood network is made up of 49 different uh, affiliates across the country. And so we, um, our very tight network. We have regular communication. And so I have seen firsthand um, and let me, let me turn the clock back because after Texas SB eight went into effect, we have three of our CEOs who run affiliates that serve Texans. And I'm, I'm now remembering that one CEO's look in the camera as we were all on zoom and it it was it was unbelievable and the and the pain and the ceo could hardly talk about what was happening and turning patients away that morning and talking about how his staff worked until 11:59 and got in the last abortion until midnight <sighs> Wow. I can almost—I just get a little <laughs> when I just talk about it. Wow. So the pain—I'm just going to call out the pain um, because our mission is to serve, and when we can't do our mission, it is painful because we know that people's lives depend on us fulfilling our mission. So um, that's—I I, I, kind of drifted. So I'll no, make sure brilliant. I. <laughs> Answer your question. So, it's bad, and we're seeing the real impact um, from other states. And we're we're leaning into our allyship and our strong federation, and um, in and how we're going to serve patients is with the assistance of. Abortion funds and other people stepping up and helping us uh, care for these uh, people who are coming to us and fleeing their home states to get care.
1: Thank you so much. So let's think. Let's talk to the folks that are outside of California right now. If we don't have liberation, if we can't, if we can't choose how and when and if we are going to be pregnant. We don't have liberation. We don't have equity. What is your message to people that are in the states that are going to be most impacted by this decision? What is your message to those folks?
2: Well, I want to just reiterate and emphasize that, in fact, you're absolutely correct. And in 1916, um, we stood on the principle that no woman can consider herself free until she owns and controls her own body. And no woman can consider herself free until she has the right to decide whether she's going to be a mother or not. So this is the foundation by which we were created as a movement, Planned Parenthood. So... um, it is, it is my message to those who now officially live in states where they have less freedom is to ensure that us, the seven California Planned Parenthood's affiliate in California, we got you. If you can get to us, we got you. Mm-hmm. We respect you. We respect your right to be free. And we will give you the care you need and want. <clears throat>
1: So, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. For, we appreciate your leadership and the extra work you're going to be putting in, um, in to take care of all the folks that we're going to need to take care of because of this decision. Appreciate you. Thank you. Assemblymember, so, we are going to turn to you. So what was your reaction to the decision? Who are you immediately concerned for and why?
0: Well, you know, I, I come to this, you can call me Buffy by the By the way, but I I come to this as an assembly member, but more importantly, I come to this issue as a woman and as a mom of two young girls, and that was my immediate gut reaction and I am someone and I've spoken openly about this, I had an abortion when I was uh, 25. Um, I, I spoke about this yesterday on the floor of the assembly that I walked into a Planned Parenthood clinic in San Francisco, the one on Venice, which I don't think is there anymore. Um, and they welcomed me with open arms and information and respect and love, and they helped me make a very important decision in my life. And it's because of that decision. That was my decision that I got to make that decision that led me to the path that I'm on now with two beautiful girls who are my everything with my husband, the the opportunities I got to work for the president of the United States. And I am now a legislator, you know, and it's because I got to make that decision on my own, on my own terms. And that's what this is really about is our ability to, for, for body autonomy and the ability to make that decision. So I thought about those moments in my life and the fact that that decision for between 33 to 36 million women and birthing people is now going to be robbed from them in this country. Um, I thought about the fact that in September I had a miscarriage and I needed an emergency DNC procedure, um, which would legally be, um, allowed in many States, but in actuality, there is a significant chilling effect, um, on, on providers and others. And, you know, Uber drivers who don't want to take women to clinics because they're worried they're going to be held civilly liable. Right. And, and the fact that those procedures are now in jeopardy, I thought about the fact that, in Missouri, they're trying to now ban IVF, and my second baby was through IVF, and what kind of family values are those, <laughs> you know, and so that, and, and the far-reaching concerns around um, the fact that states want to ban certain contraceptions now, too, so that's sort of where my head went, And but ultimately, I was gutted and frustrated, and, um, you know, part of the team that wants to fight like hell to make sure that we do everything we can here in California to be a true reproductive freedom state for all.
1: Thank you so much for outlining just how gutted we all f- feel and in, in just the most articulate way. I want to ask you, you know, immediately in times like this, we we think about what's next. What do you think um, the future holds for abortion rights in California and how do you see a path forward?
0: So, you know, we are, are fortunate to have the leadership of people like Gavin Newsom, our Senate pro tem, our speaker, our legislature here in California, um, where we are making it very clear to the world that abortion is safe and legal in California, period, full stop. Um, And we are putting a ballot measure on the ballot this year that every Uh, citizen can vote on um, and to to say essentially the same thing. And so, you know, we're fortunate that we have that ability, Um, but for, for many people, they're not going to have that, you know, and I think about the fact that like in my situation, when I had a miscarriage, I got care within 12 hours and had the procedure within 12 hours. But if I lived in a state like Texas or somewhere else, you know, am I going to get on an airplane when I was doubled over in pain and bleeding profusely? Am I going to drive 12 hours? You know, um, but we're lucky here and we have the ability here to send a message to the rest of the world. And we're doing a number of things um, legislatively and constitutionally to ensure that our rights are protected here in California.
1: Wonderful. Actually, I'm going to ask you if you could um, share a little bit more about that. So um, what can California government do to protect abortion whites in California? But then the second part is how do you think we can provide an example and show some leadership that could work nationally? What are those specific um, policy solution and legislative solutions that you're thinking?
0: Yeah. So, you know, last year, the Future of Abortion Council, which is a group of about, I think, uh, 40 organizations or so got together and said, Okay, this thing's coming. We have to expect Roe v. Wade to get overturned. What are we doing as a state to ensure that we are with a reproductive freedom state for all? And they issued a series of recommendations to lawmakers, and we distilled that into about 15 different bills that are currently going through the legislature as we speak. And we expect all of them to pass and we expect all of them to be signed by the governor. Um, But essentially, it's it's two main buckets. One, there's um, a bucket on legal protections. Um, and I'm doing a bill, for instance, to ensure that um, pregnancy loss of any kind cannot be criminalized in California, whether you're you're from here or you're from another state. Um, and, and the reason I'm doing that is there are two women, Adora uh, Perez and Chelsea Becker, who were recently imprisoned um, Adora for uh, four years. She just got out a couple months ago because of a stillbirth she had. Um, and she was imprisoned by a conservative um, D.A. in King County. Um, And part of that bill also is a private right of action for her to take recourse against that DA who lost his election, uh, fortunately, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, But, you know, legal protections are important. There's another bill that's being run by one of my colleagues to ensure that privacy is protected. If you're coming from um, another state, that third parties cannot access that privacy. Um, so whether it's a state authority or law enforcement, that that privacy is protected here. Um, there's a bill to ensure that providers, if they're doing telehealth uh, medicine, that they can't be, you know, um, held liable, civilly liable to to doing any kind of telehealth. So there's a number of sort of legal protections that we're doing. Um, in addition to that, we have um, uh, I say it around instructors how I frame it, making sure that our providers are prepared, um, uh, as Gilda has mentioned, to ensure that we can take uh, the We have to prepare for data says around 1.4 million people who may be coming here to seek abortion care right now. We do about 46,000 abortions in California. So we're, Potentially going to have a three thousand percent increase um, uh, in folks seeking that care, and it not just impacts folks here in the states who need in the state who need access to abortion care, but also those who need basic reproductive care as well. Because um, our facilities, we expect, will be um, at capacity. So, uh, I, we just voted on a bill last week that would allow practitioners with certain training to perform uh, first trimester abortions. Um, We have a bill that the Senate pro tem um, and Senator Skinner are doing to create a state managed abortion support fund that would be philanthropically funded so that we can serve as a logistics resource for folks who seek care. And then we're also doubling down on our our diversity of workforce to make sure we have the diversity um, so that folks, regardless of your ethnic background, um, if you're coming to seek care, you see people that look like you when you're getting that care, because we know that that is so important. So there's a number of things we're doing as a state. And fortunately we have strong leadership here in Sacramento um, to really um, both put our money where our mouth is and really stand for these values here in California.
1: It's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing so much. Um, I learned a, a lot just now. So thank you for that. Um, something I want uh, to sort of go into. So uh, California is a sanctuary state for abortion. Can you share what that means for those that don't know? And then also, because we're a sanctuary state, what is California supposed to do in this particular moment?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we can be a model to the rest of the country, and I know other states are um, following some of the work that we're doing here. I think Vermont is doing a similar constitutional amendment in their constitution that would go on the ballot. Um, I know other legislatures across the, the the country are considering other bills, and so while we have a group of states that are the you know the states that did um, you know have already banned abortion um, twelve to date, I believe, and I think we expect about twenty six. There's a group of other states like ours. Who are saying, um, if you need care, we are here for you. And you know, I got asked by a reporter saying, you know, is this the work you want to be doing? And my response was, it's not about want; it's about a moral obligation that we, so that people that know if we have um, people in other communities who need access to this care, that we can provide it. And we do feel, I feel, a moral duty as a legislator to ensure that we that we're doing that. And so I think that's you know that's something I think we can provide here in California. And then the last thing I'll say. And I'm going to take a moment of privilege here to actually add on to the last question you had for Gilda around um, what's your message to other states? And I think my message is the role of your state legislator has never been more important than it is today. And so that the elections in November, um, if you are someone in another state, especially ladies, if you're ready to run for office, like now is the time because these state legislatures are the ones that are determining your life. Uh, and so I think that's a message that needs to get out there in places like Ohio and Oklahoma and Texas. And a lot of these places is we need a revolution in these state legislatures, Um, and we need it now because people's lives are, li- are going to be on the line.
1: Wonderful. Amen. Yep. Thank you so much. And then I just want to ask one last thing. You shared a lot of legislation, but is there, um, is there something you could just name really clearly for everyone? Uh, what legislation is a top priority to pass right now? And why is that?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm biased on my own bill. But particularly because of the cases of uh, of Adora Perez and Chelsea Becker and the injustices that they faced for having stillbirths, um, but I, I, I think honestly the whole package um, in totality is critical because it touches upon a lot of different aspects of what we need to do here in California. And I think most, um, also most importantly, is the constitutional amendment. You know, we passed it off the floor of the Assembly yesterday with two thirds vote. It's going to go to the ballot in November. You all have the opportunity to to speak your values um i would encourage you to get involved in in the effort to support um and vote for that, that uh, amendment when it hits the ballot in november and to volunteer on the campaign um because that will do it's the strongest thing we can do to really enshrine this in the constitution uh, and it 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 approaches both um, access to to safe and legal abortion and also access to contraception because i am very concerned about This is just the beginning for this, these right wing justices. This is just the beginning for um, the right wing in this country. We have to protect contraception and a whole bevy of other rights that are that are critical. But in this space, both of those are critical.
1: Bobby, okay, thank you so much for your leadership, and thank you so much for listening to that. Because in um, Justice Thomas's con- concurring opinion, he very explicitly called out that we will have to look at privacy, um, and that's something you know we will have to look at. Marriage equality, um, we have to look at. You know, a lot falls with a lot falls with Roe. A lot of our hard-earned rights are built on 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 these on these principles, and so we're going to have a lot of work. Here. That's right. Thank you for your leadership. Uh, I want to take this time. I want to remind folks that if you have questions, please do write them on the note cards. There are people um, uh, that are going around with note note cards. And I do want to say that if you are joining us virtually, if you add your question to the chat box, um, someone will grab that for me. And and, and with any time we have left, I'm happy to ask those to our panelists. So just want to remind that. Um, And then lastly, I actually want to tell the panelists, I want to give you a a time at the end. So please think about if you had one last word, if there's something that one thing that you want people to remember. Remember today, if anything that you said that you want them to remember, please be thinking about that because I'll ask you at the end of this. So, we all welcome. We're so happy to have you.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the Commonwealth Club as well as you, um, Amani, for doing this event with us. Uh, It couldn't be more timely.
1: My pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be here. I think that in this moment, it's a good thing to remember that we have to work in community. And, um, if y'all are calling, then I'm here. Okay. Um, so what was your immediate action, uh, reaction to Friday's decision?
3: So internally, um, while we had anticipated the fall of Roe and have been doing so much to prepare for years, it didn't go without the gamut of emotion when we finally heard the decision. Um, we continue to have deep concern for the communities and individuals affected by this, um, concern about clinics and clinic staff and doctors, as well as just anger, tears, sadness, and disappointment. Um, immediately, you know, when the decision was read, the founder and president of RAP, Joy Shore, and myself were on the phone. And, you know, we shed tears because we had to at that time. And it's still pretty emotional, as you can tell, for us because of the impact that we know this is having on so many. However, you know, this decision has not stopped us. And we always channel our energy to be sure we are taking care of those who need us most. As reproductive justice leaders, we constantly adapt to devastating situations, and we always are making sure patients are safely navigated and funded um, through the clinics, hospitals, and doctors that RAP works with. We are amplifying our work by continuing to engage in communities and legislate as well as with legislators in our ongoing fight for reproductive freedom. And one of the things that I have been involved with um, is the California Future of Abortion Council um, and being a part of that and continuing to press on um, with the legislation and just delighted, you know, to have the assembly member here to talk about that and some of the things that we're doing to take care of individuals that will travel to California um, and have been traveling to California.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. I think it's important that we talk about your own personal reactions to this because I think it's really imperative that folks are hearing the tears, the tears, um, the frustration, the disappointment, and also the call to arms, the call to action, and how quickly Mm -hmm. these amazing leaders have stepped up. And so thank you so much for this. Um, I also know that your organization provides funding for women who can't afford abortion services. Can you talk more about what your organization organization does, what it's doing, the role of RAP, um, and how you think your work is going to be impacted by this Supreme Court decision.
3: Yeah, so the Women's Reproductive Rights Assistance Project is the largest national independent abortion fund, and we've been around for 31 years. We fund abortions in all states where abortion is legal. Funny enough, we used to be able to say we were able to provide funding in all 50 states and DC. Well, obviously that has now changed. Um, Our model is different from other abortion funds since we work directly with clinics, doctors, and hospitals. Call us daily through our hotline to secure funding for the patients that they have at their clinics. We have an amazing group of volunteers who have been with us for quite some time, and we return calls from clinics on a daily basis so that no patient ever has to wait to find out if they are going to be funded. And we have a robust network of over 700-plus clinics, doctors, and um, hospitals, including funding for Planned Parenthood, which I'm delighted is here on this panel today. And our mission, and has always been, to provide abortion funding and emergency contraception. I guess the biggest impact the Supreme Court decision um, will have, which continues to weigh heavily on us, is funding. We fundraise every day since we continue to prepare for the increased need to fund at higher amounts. And when I say that, you know, abortions that may have costed $500 could now cost 1000 or 1500 And this all depends on what state, too. So are we also, as we also prepare for this funding, we also are looking at some of the Higher end stuff that we are we are launching into funding even more, and that includes those individuals where the patient's life is at risk, and that funding can range anywhere from ten thousand and above. And with the current legislation that's now out there with the fall of Roe, a lot of these individuals will be forced to have their pregnancy continue because of how this legislation has been written. And we're lucky that as of an abortion fund, we can work collectively with other abortion funds together to be sure that we take care of the immediate needs of patients through our outreach within our network so that no patient is left behind in terms of funding. But at the end of the day, if we all look at this, it shouldn't have to be like this, right? Abortion is healthcare and it is a common, normal, safe procedure. And that is something that has been taken out of perspective in so many respects.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for talking about how important funding is in this fight. Um, for some of us our our freedoms are are hard earned and they haven 't been free. A lot of times, liberation for us and our freedoms and our protections have been funded by people like us and I appreciate the time that you 're taking to talk about i mean more than more than most people i wish I wish equality was free, but it 's not yeah. and so I appreciate that you 're saying this so there's going to be a need, obviously, for people to travel to California now uh, for abortion services, and it has just increased exponentially. Um, will your fund cover travel costs that's that, um, needed for folks to travel to, um, uh, to states um, when they're coming from places that are now having uh, restricted, restricted access to abortion? Um, and then what can people do that need resources that live in states where abortion is no longer possible?
3: Great question. So RAP only provides funding for abortions and emergency contraceptives. However, we work with organizations within our network that provide that practical support for travel, gas money, child care, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, by working with the clinics, we take care of that abortion funding, but also know that the clinic is reaching out to those individuals that may need to travel and have those expenses paid for. You know, already this year, RAP has has had to double its total funding for those seeking abortions um, to meet the needs because the recipient's costs, as I mentioned, have increased so much due to extra travel. And, you know, we're up 24, we were up 24 percent Last year in travel after SB8, and we're close to 35 to 40 percent now going through May. And that travel increase and the delays in accessing abortion all across the board, the domino effect increases costs. I will tell you because there's always hope in all of this, and you know, and we always look at the perspective of you know, fundamentally trying to figure it out, and have been for many years. Um, those that have been in this in this movement, and know that since. COVID first started, we started investing in funding patients through virtual clinics, for example, because the whole country was on lockdown. And that's an aspect of things that I want to, you know, highlight that, you know, we're not going away, we're going to continue funding and we're going to find ways to do it. And we've also invested in providers offering the abortion pill by mail. And we pay for the pill, the provider, as well as shipping of those pills. And we will continue you know, to offer services as we can in terms of funding, and we'll continue to look for ways to be sure that patients are taken care of for the needs that they want and need. In terms of resources, um, I have two ways that we deal with this because we look at obviously the communities that we are working with. And our website is a great tool for those who have access to the internet and we have resources there. Um, It's great also because our site is one of the few that's multilingual and people can communicate directly with us in the language they choose and we can provide information back in that language. I'll give you an example recently in the last couple of weeks we have had some patients reach out to us via email on our website asking us to help them at their funding at a specific clinic and when our volunteers and I were looking at those clinics we were saying to ourselves I've never heard of this clinic what who is this and so on our website too we list fake clinics meaning you can look up crisis pregnancy centers which are fake clinics and know that you are not going to a legitimate clinic that will provide you with the abortion care that you're looking for so we have helped in that process as well as a resource Um, in addition we look at people who don't have internet service right or who can't access through the computer or other means and know that since we started 31 years ago, we are in every community all the time. We work with clinics and doctors and advocates and we divvy out information on our abortion funding in all sorts of ways to reach people, as many people as possible, because we want them to know that we are here and we are here to fund and we won't stop doing what we're doing.
1: Thank you so much Um, and thank you for Um, just explaining how inclusive and thoughtful you all are to make sure that we are uh, speaking to everyone. And I wanted to ask you something that had to do with um, being more inclusive and intersectional in our movement. So like I mentioned earlier, uh, in the decision, Justice Thomas um, offered a concurring opinion where he explicitly expressed that the court had a duty to correct some errors established in previous precedents. And specifically, he was talking about Griswold. Lawrence and Obergefell. And that is the right to contraception, the right to private intimate relationships and marriage equality. I want to ask you, why do you believe that the fight for reproductive justice has to be an inclusive, inclusive and intersectional one?
3: This is such a great question. I'm so glad that um, you are asking it because reproductive justice is deeply intersectional and heavily multi-issued with the ongoing issues of contraception, gun control, gender violence, marriage equality, immigrant and race issues, and I could go on and on, and we could be here for hours. Um, These issues are all intertwined, and we see it each day with oppression based on race, class, and gender. Um, We all must keep in mind um, that the core components of reproductive justice include equal access to safe abortion, affordable contraceptions, and a comprehensive sex education, as well as freedom from sexual violence. Um, Specific to reproductive oppression, we see that criminalization of people who use drugs while pregnant, stillbirths, or even taking the abortion pill. I mean, we have cases that are out there now. There's also cases for the waiting periods for abortion care and judicial bypass laws for minor minors, uh, as well as these restrictions on, you know, there are abortion bans, but there's also bans on the number of weeks of pregnancy that we have to tackle based on what clinic you're at and what state you're in. Yet, as always, by working as we have uh, at the grassroots level in communities on these intersectional issues, we can ensure that no one is left behind by staying focused and applying the human rights framework to our work, um, which is what we do.
1: Thank you so much for, for sharing that and for um, explicitly talking about how important it is to work at a grassroots level and to recognize that people know what's best for their bodies and for their community and that that informs your work. So thank you. I have one last question for you, but I just wanted to remind folks, if you have any last questions that you want to ask the panelists, um, now's the time. If you are here virtually, please go ahead and write things in the chat, and we're going to get to those in just a moment. But the last question uh, so that I want to ask you is, um, really because you all are a national organization, um, we're starting to think about a national strategy. Where, uh, why do you think that we are here in this moment? How, what did it take for us to get here? And what's it going to take to get us out of it?
3: So this, again, is a great question. And I give all the credit to Ms. Magazine, who yesterday put out an excellent article. I highly recommend that people read it that really articulates why we are in this moment. And five actions that people can take that I'd like to share, if at all possible, I know our timing is limited, but I think these are essential and I just want to rattle through them quickly. Uh, I brought them as
0: well. Okay,
3: thank you. So the first one is declare a public health emergency since abortion access is a public health emergency. As people know, the US has the highest rate of maternal mortality more than any other developed country. No one, and I say no one, should be forced or controlled to carry an unwanted or non viable pregnancy that has detrimental effects, not only on that person's physical and mental health, but on the unwanted child and the huge repercussions economically that this individual will have to deal with. The second thing they talked about was to combat disinformation and the stigma around abortion care. Taking actions to provide accurate information about medical and surgical abortions. This is something that we in this movement have always talked about. We need to say the word abortion. We need to talk about abortions. We need to talk about our experiences and we need to share and continue to share accurate information out there. The third is that ensuring that coverage of abortion care under Medicaid and private insurance is done to the fullest extent allowed, and the fourth thing that they mentioned is to ensure that Medicaid is not further marginalized uh, marginalizing abortion care and providers by restricting federal funds and the final thing that they talk about and each of these they've talked about in detail. Um, you know, that I think that people can read on their own. But the final was providing resources and support to individuals seeking care, as well as the providers and others. You know, as pregnant people are forced to travel longer distances and funding allocations are needed to support these individuals, abortion care funds, providers and others will be handling this influx. So this is critical for us to continue on.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad we ended with those. That's wonderful. Thank you. So we have some questions from the audience now that we're going to um, go through. And if, if any um, pop up, go ahead and bring those up to me, please. Um, the first one is on, uh, from online. And it's asked, Can Buffy clarify the November vote is for the state constitution and can the U.S. constitution be changed?
0: Uh, it is for the state of California Constitution, and I wish that I could change the U.S. Constitution easily because um, we could also talk about guns for a long time on that on that note. Um, but uh, sadly, it's not for the U.S. Constitution; it's for the state Constitution. And and uh, any eligible voter here in California who's registered to vote can vote um, to enshrine um, access to reproductive care and contraception in our state Constitution this November.
1: Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Um, the second yeah, question on that we oh, also chime
2: in that it, it definitely passed all the houses It will get a proposition number and we'll soon be able to distribute that and let folks know because we're, we're all on it
1: <laughs> Thank you uh, So the second question is about funding um, How are funds allocated from Planned Parenthood national versus Planned Parenthood, Northern, California? Should we be donating specifically to Northern, California and RAP? Sylvia, would you like to take that first and then?
3: Well, we, sure. Well, we work with uh, all of the Planned Parenthoods and we provide abortion funding. Um, I, you know, so giving to both is important and critical at this point in time. Um, So the more funding that we have that we can distribute would be great, you know, and you know, abortions don't wait. I say this all the time. Um, we are direct support. And so this funding is needed now. And, you know, there's other ways to support that include advocacy and legislation. And those are longer term. But when you're on direct support and you have patients every day in need of money and the, and these amounts are going up, I can't stress enough how important it is to give straight away to these organizations like RAP, like the Planned Parenthoods to to be sure that these individuals are taken care of.
2: And I would also add that there's the 49 affiliates throughout the country, and the 49 affiliates provide the direct patient care. So we do have a national office, and sometimes people will come up to me and very happily say, oh, I just gave to Planned Parenthood. I go, what was the address? And they say, New York. I'm like, mm. <laughs> we will get a portion of that. But if you care about health care, it's the affiliates that, that do that. So I would say that's, and we, we love our our national office and they do great work and that's important too but I just always like to
1: make sure people understand the difference that's helpful especially right now thank you for that thank you both all three of you so this next question is vote march protest and donate what more can we do to help and how to help patients in and out of state
2: well, I'll, I'll chime in and, and talk about abortion stigma because I appreciate that call out. So one of the things that I have been saying quite often of late is to for people to really explore whatever conscious or unconscious thoughts around abortion stigma. And the way that it shows up is when you start putting the I'm for abortion, but— and then whatever comes after. Right. That's then something that tells you that it's abortion stigma. And I'm calling it out because uh, we can't let abortion stigma get in Californians way of truly realizing a reproductive freedom state. Mm-hmm. So really. Um, Take that opportunity. Tell your abortion story. One in four women uh, are estimated to have an abortion. And in my calculation, there should be one in four men. <laughs> <laughs> so men, please share your abortion stories. And um, and again, let's liberate this. It, if in fact, it is health Abortion is health care.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Does anyone else want to? share anything, anything else?
0: I mean, I, I would just add on to that. I mean, it's, it's why I've been so vocal about um, the abortion that I had in my mid and what it meant to me and um, how it led me to the path that I am here today. Um, and it allowed me to um, have children when I was ready. Um, so I'm, I'm, I also think when you share your own personal story, no one can debate your own story. It's your story. So um, it's a way that you can connect with people, Um, you know, and and I'll just say, I mean, I think all things that, that the person who asked the question said are right. Um, you know i think we are in a precarious time in this nation right now and i don't mean to be hyperbolic about it but um you know i'm not only concerned about this but frankly the future of our democracy and i think if there's one thing that we've learned it's elections have consequences and this is a direct result from the 2016 election and so for for any of us who were complacent in 2016 we have learned our lesson um and so i think you know getting out there voting registering people to vote um in, especially in these these critical other swing states is going to be really, really important. There's a lot of organizations that are doing um, swing left and organizations like that. But I think that work's going to be critical. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a product in a way of the um, 2016 election because uh, I decided to run for office for the first time in my life when Trump was quote unquote, elected. Um, And I had never had that plan before. So here I am now. (laughs) And I think for other folks who are interested, that's another pathway, if you're able and have the ability and the um, capacity to do so is to run for office as well, even locally, because your voice and your leadership really matters.
3: I echo all of that, um, and want to reemphasize what Buffy said that we need more women running for office. Uh, I also say, say that like um, Gilda and Buffy, um, that your vote matters, particularly this upcoming election, it's going to be critical and so important. On a grassroots level, I'll tell you something that we did recently um, and these were salons that we created called Courageous Conversations, not only to raise money, but also to talk about abortion. And people uh, talked about their abortions um, in an intimate room, asked questions and were able to raise funds. And it went very, very well. Um, We also had a theater production recently where people voiced their opinions and also told their stories. Um, in a theatrical manner. And it had a lot of impact and uh, created a lot of um, conversations in terms of the word abortion and saying uh, the word abortion and talking about abortions.
1: Wonderful. Thank you all. This next question is very similar to the last, but there's a few things that I want to pull out because I think we're seeing some things on social media and I think you all might uh, be able to um, answer this. So um, they're asking, what can I do as an average citizen? Can I sponsor the travel of women seeking abortions uh, to come to California for care, drive them myself, be a safe house for pre and post abortion, stockpile oral contraceptive contraceptives? I want to take action.
2: So um, uh, we've been sharing with folks the the six things (laughs) for Californians, um, and uh, the first one is if you're not registered to vote, to register to vote immediately. And if you're registered, vote in every election for reproductive champions and issues, to review and consider strongly to support the California new state constitutional amendment. If you work in the private sector to appeal to your company to take a stand and protect abortion access, also to support abortion funds and support your local Planned Parenthood affiliate. And so that's the action that we're calling out um, because it is, again, Rightly, have your anger, have your sadness, your grief, and then we need to act constantly. We can turn this around. It's not over. But it's going to entail us being in action one step at a time it took them 50 years to do what they're doing hopefully it will not take us 50 to turn it around but we've got to just hit the ground
1: and keep on going together yeah absolutely uh we've been here before y'all so we're gonna we're gonna do this again um so uh here's a question i know it's difficult to say now But do you think that states outlawing abortion will try to ban interstate travel for pregnant women? Is this an anticipated response from the efforts uh, to assist women seeking abortion?
0: I mean, I think we don't know the ripple effect this is going to have just yet um, and what this will mean. And um, we've we've seen draconian kind of handmaid's tale like suggestions out there on social media from these right-wing states um, and so I think time will tell in terms of you know what that actually means and I think we have to prepare for and anticipate the worst because that's what we should be doing in a situation like that because the right wing has proven that that's what they're trying they're trying to send us back to I think frankly an era that has never even existed I mean I don't even know what their vision of the world is, but, um, it's pretty horrifying if it's, uh, as it pertains to women and and birthing people. Um, so I think we have to anticipate the worst, um, and, and prepare for that and hope for the best, um, and, and galvanize, you know, as Gilda said, because the, my hope coming out of this is, this is going to be a big awakening for this nation, you know, and an awakening for people all across this country to say enough is enough you know, and, and body autonomy is important to us and we're going to have, you know, a revolution in this sense um, that we use this moment. um, The silver lining will be, you know, people running for office all across the country with strong progressive values about around protecting um, body autonomy and um, a progressive agenda across this country on a number of different issues. And that, you know, we, we, we catalyze in the moment that we're in, because I do believe we can change this country. Um, I think it's just, you know, as Gilda said, it's going to take, you know, one foot in front of the other and we have the ability to do it. And frankly, um, from my perspective, my children's future depends on it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, um, and I want to just echo that as well. What we saw earlier in Texas, the way that we're seeing across this country, um, criminalizing folks, and and that is not just when we're talking about abortion. We're actually seeing that increase in a lot of different ways. And so I think we absolutely should um, plan for the the worst, like Buffy said, um, but also I mean expect it too. Uh, our opponents are showing us who they are. Um, they're not they're not hiding it. <laughs> Uh, So this question's for you. Is there a plan to expand the number of Planned Parenthood clinics in Northern California, if that's something you know, and how do you anticipate, uh, and this is maybe for everyone, how do you anticipate the banning of abortions in some states? How do you anticipate the impact that's going to have on young women under 18 years old?
2: So um we were very fortunate to have launched uh, a campaign a local campaign uh in January of 2015 and I remember we were celebrating the one 100 year centennial of the National Plant Parented and Mayor Lee uh was hosting us in City Hall we thought it was October of 2016 and <laughs> we thought the next month there was going to be more celebration and um And we were raising funds to build a new health center here in San Francisco and We just opened that new health center last year in March, uh, 1522 Bush Street, and it doubled our size, and it will triple our capacity to see see patients. We knew that we needed to do a cash uh, project because of all of the threat to defunding that we were seeing come January 2017. So I'm really proud to uh, acknowledge the 877 donors here, primarily in the Bay Area, that flipped the bill for a $22 million project that was all cash, not one cent of debt. And we are serving our patients. We have capacity to expand hours, to bring more health uh, services, healthcare services, abortion clinics, and uh, add a day of service if we need to. And that place is remarkable. It is a true investment that we have made for this moment. Mm-hmm. And we are expanding a footprint and also in Napa. And, uh, and we're prepared to expand ours in
1: some of our other locations here in the Inner Bay Area. Thank you so much. And any thoughts to anyone about um, how this might affect um, young women and folks that are pregnant that are under 18?
0: I, I I was, uh, I don't know if y'all listened to the Daily yesterday, but they um, interviewed uh, folks at four different clinics in different states who had already um, put forth a ban. And there was, they asked um, a woman who was the receptionist at one of the clinics to say, like, recount the most compelling story that you heard today, because she had to call 60 different patients and tell them they couldn't perform abortions. And she said, um, one call was of a grandmother who had a 14-year-old granddaughter um, who had been raped. Um, and they had to cancel her abortion. And when you think about the horror of that, and this poor receptionist was just, you know, obviously um, shocked and traumatized from having to, you know, as I'm sure gilders others can speak to in terms of um, a lot of what the clinics have experienced. Um, and you think about for for younger people in particular and what this means and some of the situations that they find themselves in and the fact that um, in many parts of this country, they won't have access to the care that they so desperately need at such a young age. Uh, it is truly, um, it's infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating. Um, and it makes the work that we're doing here all the more important. And it makes the, the actions that we have discussed here all the more important to so have many young people who will, will be um, impacted severely and also um, young people of color in particular who will disproportionately be impacted. Um, and, you know, if you know, if you're in one of these states, Um, If you're white, chances are make more money because of the inequities in our economic system that we have in this country. And you can get on an airplane, not exclusively, but often, but disproportionately people of color um, uh, are going to have a more challenged time there. And so the racial inequities, I think, are severe um, with this, as well as the fact that for a lot of these young people, it's going to be very difficult.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. We have just a few minutes left, and I wanted to make sure that we get a chance for you all to share a final word. If there was something you said today that you want, and saying, you know, if there's one thing I want you to leave with today, it's this, or something you want to reiterate. Good. Why don't we start with you?
2: Abortionfinder.org.
1: Love it. Buffy. Please.
0: I think it's a uh, cry, get mad, and then fight like hell. Um, our nation depends on it and, and women and birthing people across this country depend on our action here.
3: And Sylvia? Um, I think I want to start by saying that this is a heavy and painful moment for reproductive justice, yet we are not giving up. We are not hopeless and we are in this to help one another and those in our movement have been planning this for years. knowing that our sisters. Our systems have never been just, even with Roe v. Wade. And I'd like to sort of end with a testimonial that we have recently received um, from an individual, a patient from a, from a clinic um, that kind of uh, sort of encompasses everything that we've talked about today. And this individual said, I have been extremely sick beyond morning sickness. I have not been able to hold down food or water. I have been sick day and night through all that I have been going through. I have no choice but to work. I told my employer about my situation. Instead of them being understanding, they treated me as if I was lazy and terminated me. I have no support in any shape or form well until now. Thank you so much. I was absolutely, completely blown away by your donation. And this is somebody who had no financial means. 83% of those individuals that we fund, their partner has abandoned them. And 74% have one or two children already. And we were grateful enough to have the funding donations that we needed to support this person in full.
1: Well, thank you so much.
2: May I add just one, please? please. So, I, I want to underscore that this is also something that we started to see um, even a month ago, um, as we were supporting patients already from out of state. The marginalization of these patients who are now telling us that their family and friends do not want to support them for fear of their own prosecution. <laughs> Oh. And it's blowing us away that I can't get a ride to the airport. Even if I could get to the airport, I can't get the money I need. So this is the degree of desperation uh, and uh, isolation that we're going to see. And, um, and unfortunately, uh, lives will be lost. And that's the reality of all of this, because that is just for some
1: people just beyond unbearable. Thank you so much for that, you know, This is something that affects all of us. Our movements have to work together. Bayard Rustin said, "Bayard Rustin said we have to work in every other movement for the freedom of people." Y'all, you know, we have to be intersectional. We have to be inclusive in our movements because our lives do depend on it. I want to thank our amazing panelists for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much to the Commonwealth Club for um, for having us. Um, and I want to mention, too, that this is funded in part by the California Wellness Foundation. The foundation's mission is to improve the health of all Californians. California Wellness is dedicated to promoting equity through advocacy and access. We are thankful for their support. This ga- gathering will continue on um, with a reception on the roof, so please uh, take the elevators right outside to join us. Thank you so much, for everyone, for being here. Um, this program and others like it will be found on the Commonwealth Club's website at www.commonwealthclub.org. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. My name is Imani Ripley-Gordy, and this is Now a Day.
0: You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher.